this is Melissa Hale Spencer, the editor at the Altamont Enterprise, here today with a beautiful young woman named Sonal Swain. And I heard about Sonal from the librarian at Gilderland High School, Bernard Bott. And what he told me about her project is fascinating. So welcome, Sonal. Hi, it's really nice to be here. Could you just tell us a little bit first about E equals MC squared, because that's the program that yeah. you're working on this project with Mr. Bot. Yeah, so E equals MC squared is an independent research class at Gillen High School. And it's basically, it's a very non-traditional class where, you know, there's 10 of us from all different grade levels. And basically at the fir- at the beginning of the year, we're all posed a question or we're all um, kind of encouraged to ask a question that we dig deeper into over the course of the entire year. So we have independent projects. We All of our assignments are independent and we go back to our advisors, but it's very self-directed class. And everyone knows E equals MC squared. The Einstein formula is yeah. energy times the mass and speed of light squared. But mm-hmm. what does it stand for in this case? Does it have a translation? I, um, I'm not sure to okay. um, completely, but E equals MC squared, the class itself kind of stands for um, a whole different things. There's the five C's, creativity, curiosity, collaboration, oh. um, you know, all of those. So they all kind of not symbolize scientifically, but kind of the general um, aura of collaborations, curiosity, you know, going out and seeking answers to our own questions. Great. Well, I read a little bit on your website, and it you wrote about yourself yeah. that you had always thought you wanted to be a doctor. Yeah. So um, I think ever since I was little, um, I grew up in eastern India. So, um, you know, I saw a lot of poverty, a lot of hunger. And so naturally, from a really young age, um, I thought healthcare was kind of the way that I could give back. And when I came to the U.S., you know, I, I clung to that dream of mine. And all the way until last year, and to this, even to today, um, you know, medicine, something that's very, very important to me, because I saw the impact that I could have had when um, I was back home. Well, tell us a little so, about your home, about where yeah. you're from in India. Okay, so I'm from a small town called Burnpur, which is on the coast of India, on the East Coast. Um, I was there until I was eight years old. And I lived in different places, but that was I. I spent like a few years there. Basically, it's it's a small town, I guess. It's it's large in population compared to the U.S. But I lived there with my grandparents, and um, I was born there too. So it's definitely a fundamental um, kind of aspect of who I am as a person, my dreams, and as well as a project that I've been working on. Of course. Well, yeah. so what was the transition like at age eight when you came? Did you come first to Gilderland or somewhere else? No. So in between, I lived in Australia for two years and then <laughs> I'd come here before, but like I had never moved here. So when I was eight years old, I was definitely very, very excited to be here. Um, I was excited to be near like different people from all over the world. I was excited to to start something new, to be in a new country. Um, my parents had lived here. My brother was born here too. So it was definitely like coming back to family. It was really, really exciting for me. And it was just like something completely beyond what I'd known. It was on the other side of the world. So, you yeah. know, it was very exciting. 
Well, so when you started with this project idea, reading your website, and I love the way you're very personal when you write even on a website, (laughs) you had a very broad idea for your project Mm -hmm. that had to do with medicine and education in Mm -hmm. the third world. But then really, it sounds like you fell in love with this little girl, Sabrina. So tell us us about that. Who is Sabrina and how did you... Yeah, so kind of coming back to the whole doctor thing, that was, you know, medicine was definitely what I was really, really passionate about for almost 16 years of my life. And last year, I got the opportunity to work at a summer camp slash school at Camp Colony, which is in the Mohawk River um, kind of valley. And basically, it was six weeks where um, there were kids all around the Capital District, Albany, um, Rotterdam, you know, and they were from ages um, five to 21. And basically, there were counselors and we either worked one-on-one or we worked in groups. Um, so I had one one-on-one, which was Sabrina. She was six years old, and she had smith magenis disorder. And I was not familiar with that until I read it in your um, online account. Can you just kind of give us in a nutshell what that is? Yeah, it's a very so rare disorder. So. It is. It's a behavioral disorder, which kind of, um, it's behavioral, intellectual. It's kind of all those things. So she has um, difficulties with behavior, of course. She can't sleep through the night, so she's usually really tired in the morning. Um, there was a few intellectual things, like she has a hard time doing like analytical things like math, but she was an amazing reader. So it was kind of um, an overarching disorder that kind of took into extent a lot of different things. It wasn't just behavioral. It wasn't just genetics. It was a lot of different things. Well, I'm just going to read for our listeners this one passage you wrote about her because it was just so moving. It's You must have written it on her birthday. Yes, I did. Because it says, happy birthday, princess. I'm trying to get in front of the microphone mm-hmm. to read this. Um, I think about you constantly. I miss you so much. You're the lock screen on my phone, and I catch myself looking at it whenever I feel stressed and overwhelmed, and it never fails to put a smile on my face. I looked through hundreds of photos and videos of you tonight, and I found myself weeping with joy, sadness, and most of all, love. It has been a really rough year, and not a day goes by that I don't wish I was back at camp with you, chasing butterflies or reading to you in the hammock as you fall asleep on my chest. Mm -hmm. This is beautiful. I I get goosebumps when I read it. So tell us just how you fell in love with this little girl. I think going into camp, I never experienced working with children with disabilities. Of course, I have a younger brother. I've always done a lot of things with little kids, but this was just completely beyond my comfort zone it was it was a world that I'd never seen before um and Sabrina I remember when um Mitch the director he was like you're gonna fall in love with Sabrina she's exactly like you so this is Mitch Han yes okay yeah so he's a director of camp so they pair each of us individually and I have to say they did a phenomenal job pairing me and Sabrina but I don't know I think she symbolized a lot of the almost freshness that I felt going like experiencing the world of disabilities was not something experienced and you know she always had a smile on her face um she she was just so much fun to be around and it was definitely refreshing because as much as I fell in love with her I kind of fell in the love with the idea of her you know this whole world of disabilities this whole world of taking care of children or learning with them or um you know special education that I'd never seen before so it was almost a parallel to how I was feeling towards just this new experience and you know how attracted I was to this new field and you know she brought me outside my comfort zone quite literally but I 
I don't know. It's like looking back, camp definitely changed my life. Sabrina most definitely changed my life. Um, anyone that kind of <laughs> talked to me over the summer, that's all I could talk about. I spent almost seven hours with her every single day for six weeks. And, you know, when you get to know a child like that intimately, you all, you become their friend, their best friend, their, you know, their caretaker, their teacher. And it was just a very wholesome experience that um, kind of didn't take me away from the whole healthcare aspect because I still saw that in camp. But it definitely introduced me to something that quite literally just, it, like, it, it just brought up so many things that I didn't know about myself and you know how strongly I felt about her might be because of what she opened up for me and the experiences with her that just kind of you know paved my way but also how I felt about myself how I felt about kids just everything in general so that's a lot of importance that a six-year-old can have but she most definitely (laughs) has because you were open to it exactly so so now tell us how that changed your idea or shaped your idea or narrowed mm-hmm. your idea of your project that you're doing. Yeah. So after camp, the week after camp, I actually got the opportunity to go to India, back to my hometown, and work at a nonprofit for children with disabilities. And when my grandfather had kind of brought up this idea a few months ago, uh, a few months before camp, I was hesitant about it because at first, you know, I didn't know how camp was going to be. I It was an experience. I'd never worked with children with special needs. But, you know, going back to my hometown and being able to do the same thing, of course I said yes to it. I jumped head in head first. Um, definitely... When you go from working at a camp that has so many resources and just so much support in the U.S. to a small, almost rural community and just seeing how drastically different those two almost schools and the experiences and the children were um, definitely was very humbling, but also just um, amazing because my experiences with Sabrina had already fueled this passion for special education, but when I could go back and have a deeper and more intimate and personal connection to my own home, my own um, childhood, it definitely just made the entire experience, both camp and the school that I worked at, um, even greater than it could have been. So tell us about the school. I looked it up online, and it has quite an international reputation. It does. So um, it's called the Degant Institute, and it's it has students all the way from six years old to around forty, um, and most of the families that are that send their students there are low income, and so based on the fact that it's a nonprofit, the school relies upon a lot of the funds that it raises locally to help pay for the children's tuition. But the school in itself, the teachers are all volunteer teachers. None of them are certified in teaching or special education. Um, the school doesn't have running water. There's no lights. You know, there's no cooling system. So when you're out in the sun in 90-degree weather, you're just out in the sun in 90-degree weather. Um, there's no sanitary bathrooms. There's no resources for teachers. You know, there's no blackboards. There's no um you know, iPads like we had here. Um, It was definitely almost the polar opposite of everything that I'd seen here. And just how quickly those, it was almost like the flip of a coin. You know, I saw one side of the world and then I saw the other side of the world. Um, And just everything about the two experiences were different. But the school, the kind of community in the school, the teachers have done a phenomenal job of just making something incredible out of absolutely nothing. And that's something that has been inspiring to this day. 
Well, your pictures capture that. I yeah. encourage people to go to your website. You have wonderful pictures. You say in your website, a picture's worth a thousand words. One of my favorite ones is the students are all clustered around a carom board. Mm-hmm. And is that like a common game there? It is. It's a very common and game. And they just look engaged and happy. Mm-hmm. And it's just a wonderful kind of portrait that you yeah. captured that moment. I did go and look up some kind of startling statistics on special education in India. This is from a United Nations report. It says that 0.51%, that's less, you know, around half of 1% of disabled students are in mainstream educational institutions in India. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's hard to even know how many there are. And I don't know if you can talk a little about why that might be. Mm -hmm. This uh, report alluded to kind of a cultural um, feeling of people hiding this Mm -hmm. and also mentioned the caste system and how that played into it. If you could just kind of educate us on that subject. So this is kind of what I'm researching. I'm researching almost the social um, considerations that go into, you know, making um, India's special education what it is. So the... Definitely statistics for if you look up special education in India are very, very startling. But something that I have to say from the beginning is that it is getting better. Um, It's definitely, it's come a long way since it was a few decades ago. And without a doubt, it needs um, to be worked on. And it's a flawless, uh, it's a flawed system, but it's not you know, nothing. There's definitely a foundation. Well, you can see that in our country, too. Of course. I mean, in my childhood, the special education students were not part of the mainstream. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of going back to the statistics, um, there's definitely a social stigma in India around the fact of special education. You know, disability is not something that's entirely welcomed. And that, I believe, is just because of the amount of time that it hasn't been out in the open. Um, India as a just a society is very almost closed. We keep personal, personal matters to ourselves. Um, things like disability are considered family matters, not public matters. And how families decide whether or not they want to educate their children with special needs comes down to their choice, and it's it's not a very public thing. But you also have to look at the difference between urban and rural. Um, towns. There's a lot more resources than urban cities, and whether or not families choose to, you know, take those opportunities is one thing. But in a lot of rural communities, like the school that I worked at, um, there just aren't resources. There are very, very few schools, so they there's not even a reach for special education. Um, and a lot of students um, and a lot of teachers just don't encourage to students with disabilities to try to work in a mainstream classroom because the India is a very, very fast-paced society. You know, everyone's just moving at just lightning speed and we're all doing something. And it's almost regarded as special, like kids with special needs can't keep up. Um, and I'm not saying that's the right thing. It's just how um, Indian society is. And it's, oh, tell, tell us a little more about that because I hadn't known that about Indian society. Yeah. The pace of how people do things is just yeah. kind of... Just unpack that a little. Exactly. So India is definitely known as being one of the biggest culture hubs. You know, we're blooming. Our economy is just completely off the charts. You know, we're growing and thriving. There's a lot of um, technology. A lot of the STEM things just every single day, you know. And for people that don't know, STEM is science, technology, engineering, Engineering. and math. Yes. So, you know, there's India's... uh, almost days are always fast-paced especially when you look at education there's always something going on there's always um brand new 
innovation, stuff like that. So there's and there's definitely a I want to say a stress culture in um, India's education system, which a lot of children disabilities can't keep up with unless so did there's you adequate... yourself go to school before you were eight there yeah so and what was your schooling like um I don't honestly I don't remember a lot of it yeah. but I do remember there were long days you know I went to school from nine to five which is a lot longer um school in India is six out of the seven days instead of five out of the seven so we have school on Saturdays too um and I guess that just goes to show like education is very, very valued in India. And it's definitely one of the biggest priorities in the entire society and government and everything. Um, it It is a sad fact that a lot of children with disabilities are kind of left out of that system because one, there just aren't enough resources. And two, um, it, it really there's a lot of it that comes down to money um, in rural areas and in urban areas. Low income families just can't provide for their children to go to school and especially if you look at a lot of rural areas families just see more importance in taking their children that might have a disability out of school and putting them into the workforce and you know helping um get get money for the family rather than spending that money trying to educate them um but there there is a shift of trying to welcome new students and you know the indian government has um, past laws over the f- past few decades to try to incorporate some of the students and I won't lie it's definitely it's a slow process but there are, are initiatives taking being taken from every aspect whether that's curriculum um, the government society in itself you know opening up to this idea um, and I'm sure it'll get there at one point just you know so how even though you narrowed your project to looking at special education in India it's still a vast topic mm-hmm. what what part of that is it that you're going to be dealing with or are dealing with? I think I was just fascinated by, you know, social perception of um, just disability in general and children with disabilities, of course. Growing up in India, I, and still to this day, I um, feel very connected to the society and the culture there. And, you know, reading a lot of accounts of how poorly children with disabilities are treated or how social perception plays a pivotal role in not bringing students um, into the education system just because they might need a little bit more help or a little bit more guidance. Um, That was definitely shocking to me because growing up, I had never experienced that. You know, I no one in my family has a disability. I just never seen that side of the education system. Um, But kind of seeing how almost close-minded India can be um, to children with disabilities was definitely very disheartening. But on the flip side, seeing the nonprofits and all these almost agencies speaking up and kind of having a voice for these students has also been inspiring. So I still look at kind of other stuff. Um, I look at a lot of legal stuff, a lot of um, research that goes into children with special needs, but I... I don't know, my passion kind of lies within the policy and the social perception of the entire system. So when you've looked at the legal stuff, as you call it, have there been suits that have been brought on behalf of certain children to further the process? I'm sure there have. I just have not seen any major ones. Um, A lot of a lot of like legal stuff um, pertaining to children with disabilities comes in the form of laws passed by the Indian government. Oh, I see. Um, So I did look into that a little bit. I 
personally do not have a connection to anything legal. That's just not what I find interesting. So on the but, social policy, which you do find interesting, yeah. what have been some of the steps there that have made progress? So social policy. So one of the biggest things kind of going into this project was how can I put the bias that I have for my own country aside and just look at the straight facts. And that's hard, definitely very, very hard to do. So a lot of the initial things that I did kind of uncover were not surprising to me. A lot of the, you know, the huge population of India just doesn't believe children with disabilities or just people with disabilities to be equal to, quote, normal um, individuals. And that that was not something that was shocking to me. You know, I had experienced that when I was younger. Um, but there were also things that were almost surprising in a way that um, a lot of teachers and, like, education systems aren't willing to um, open up their curriculum or take that extra step and provide financial aid for these students with disabilities. So it was not anything out of the ordinary. And I can't think of any statistics off the top of my head. But there's there's a lot of things in India that I had already known from being little. But seeing them out on paper was definitely surprising. Um, and sometimes, you know, I'd find things like how India society has is slowly walking towards being more welcoming and, you know, regarding uh, or understanding that life is not exactly a race where just the winner wins everything, you know. Um, where India slowly going towards a, you know, everyone wins in their own way by crossing the finish line. And, you know, stuff like that, when you see it on paper, when you see that research backs, things like that, it's very inspiring knowing that, you know, India is regarded as a very, like, close-minded society, but that's that's not everything that it is. And, you know, it, it's definitely, <laughs> it's confusing almost sometimes because you find a lot of contradicting things. But Well, what I admire about you, any of us by the age of eight, and you were in India living with your grandparents until mm-hmm. then, has formed our idea of the world mm-hmm. in ways that usually stay with us for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. But here you are going back and examining those mm-hmm. precepts that you grew up with mm-hmm. And kind of opening them up and shining a light Mm -hmm. and seeing what they mean. I think that's just wonderful. Thank you. I don't know. It's growing up in India, it definitely played a huge role in my life. And I still, I feel very much connected to the country. And kind of my experiences with Sabrina, um, I don't think that if I hadn't gone back to India, I don't think I would have been here um, studying special education system. I initially, for this project last year, wanted to study healthcare in developing countries. Um, But just kind of seeing how different it can be in other parts of the world, especially a part of the world that I consider my own home and where I grew up with, you know, it was where I took my first steps in my own education. And just seeing how um, almost bad and just underdeveloped the system can be, was definitely something that I was like, I can't not do something about this. What does your family think about your work? I know you mentioned your grandfather is the one that suggested you Mm -hmm. work in Mm -hmm. that program for the summer. What are are their thoughts on this? Um, Well, my parents definitely, I don't think they understood how important camp was to me until they, like, a few weeks into it, and that's just all I could think about, you know. Um, It was, I think... 
them not having experience with children with disabilities um, made it a little bit harder for them to understand. But I think they caught on really, really quickly how involved I was and how um, passionate I was about both camp here and just the school that I um, worked at. And my parents didn't get to see the school that I worked at because I was there with my grandparents. Um, but I, I've shown them pictures and I've, you know, they're just as shocked as me about, you know, how much they lack. But they understand kind of my need to give back because that's just how I've always been. Um, and I only spent two weeks there, but the fact that they know that I came back and I'm still researching it and I'm still trying to find my own way to give back, um, I think they're very, very supportive and understanding of how much it means to me. That's great. Well, we're almost running out of time, and I want to be sure you get to mention your GoFundMe yes. page in case there's somebody yeah. listening that <laughs> wants to go fund you. <laughs> Thank you. So a lot of um, what EMC kind of stands for is we do research, but um, to also find a way to incorporate that research into giving back or producing something tangible. Um, and when I did this project, I initially came in with that idea. You know, it wasn't it wasn't research that led me to the idea. Um, but when I was working at the school, almost the first thing that I realized was, you know, money would fix so many, so much of the, you know, the wrong that's here. And it would help with a lot of the fundamental resources and, you know, supplies and stuff like that. So the monetary value was definitely very, very important. It was almost the most like apparent thing that I could find when I came back here. Um, and, the GoFundMe is almost a campaign. It's called Dollars for Deganth, and Deganth is a school that I worked at. And could you spell that so people are yeah, sure? Yeah, so it's D-I-G-A-N-T. And does that mean something in a different language? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> I have not looked into that. I right. should. But uh, the kind of the campaign is not just to raise money. It's also a way for me to show my peers and just people on that will never get to experience what it's like in India never get to see the conditions that are there um, and just kind of open their eyes to that because I think that's a very valuable thing to do and just kind of um, if I can do that through pictures and through videos and my own narrative um, that's that means a lot to me and it almost means more than raising money because I, I want to share my experiences and I want to hopefully um, widen someone else's worldview but the money aspect every cent and every dollar that I raise goes right back to the school to helping um, the teachers to getting some new resources sanitary bathrooms um, teaching resources just things that every child should have access to so you are not just raising funds you are raising consciousness yes and just you might have closing thoughts. I feel so bad we're out of time no, already. Okay. I just was hoping you could discuss a little about yourself as a photographer because I found the pictures you took very, very moving. Just what's it? How do you go about taking pictures and why? I I think photography has always been something very, very close to my heart because I'm I'm a firm believer in a pictures as more than a thousand words, um, and that, that's something I keep coming back to in my research project, but. When I was looking, when I was there, I knew that I wanted to document this because it's not something that my words could ever have done justice coming back. I could never have put, been able to put it into words. And I took the pictures, you know, I would just walk around with my, my iPhone and just take pictures or take videos of these kids because, you know, kind of even being able to see them through um, a lens was better than me trying to explain what it was like there because I could never capture the emotion I could never capture children sitting around a carom board and that that 
that's it for bringing them happiness. Like it was all the really, really small moments that I knew I could capture through a phone. And if that was the one thing that I could bring back um, to the other side of the world and be like, here, this is, this is what it's like. Then that's just kind of what I did. I, I try to just incorporate the smallest things, you know, winning a game or sitting on a swing or, or coming just, down a slide. Exactly, There's that great picture. Yeah. Just, yay. Yeah, or kids <laughs> clapping, you know, it was, it was things like that, that they weren't anything grand or anything momentous. They were just, they were just sincere. They were very sincere moments that, you know, I had seen and that had made the greatest impact. And those were the ones that I wanted to show other people. Do you have any closing words for us, Sanal? Um, yeah, I think, you know, my research has played a really, really big role in who I want to become and kind of the problem that I want to solve. And if there's one thing that, you know, the entire special education, the world of disabilities has kind of shown is that, you know, equality is lies at the heart of talking about what's not right and what's not, you know, fair. Um, and even in it, the U.S. special education system is by no means perfect, but you look at other countries, especially India, where it's developing, and I think, you know, equality is not something that's impossible there or in the U.S. It just needs to be talked about, and, you know, if we can address the elephant in the room, that's that's greater than anything else. Well, you've so. done just that. Thank you. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me.